This is the Four Horsemen Podcast. And welcome back to the Four <laughs> Horsemen Podcast. It's your boy Nick with our neighbor to the north, Chase Claypool's childhood friend. They rode in the same limo drawn by a moose to prom, Dylan. And then we have Steve, the most pessimistic optimist that I know. Hailing from Rhode Island, and we are ready to go. Joe will be joining us at some point during this podcast, I hope. And uh, let's let's get to it. Huge win this week for Notre Dame over Stanford. Stanford was remarkably unremarkable. And uh, Bryce Love is the most overrated running back in college football. I'll let you have the floor. Yeah, no, that's it. We can stop the podcast now. There we go. That's... That's all we got to do this week. All right. Have a good night, guys. So, but really, I, it it's hard to be right all the time. And we saw Bryce Love be Bryce Love. And he's, he had that one run that everyone's going to talk about because he's God's gift to football. But after that, he did nothing. Notice oh, my God. The, it, the uh... I don't think it was Flutie, or maybe it was Flutie. I know you have a, an ongoing vendetta against him, but one of the play-by-play, they were essing his D. Like, this kid, you know, the classroom, the community, the football field, he's everything, blah, blah, blah. That is my you know, just, doing that. just going on and on about exactly like what you said, God's gift. And, uh, you know, hey, congrats on the 73 yards, buddy. We should, uh, we should try to get a hashtag shut up Flutie going around Twitter. Especially around Notre Dame Twitter because that's apparently the Four Horsemen's Twitter head, and I love it. So let's yeah. get back. One of the uh, one of the drills from One Foot Down, uh, they used it, and uh, they they made a banner for it. So I said I'm going to use that because Flutie's the worst. And even with KJ Costello, he, the one thing that bothers me, and I edited this out of last week because we don't have to hear what bothers me. There's a lot of things. I'm Irish. I, I let a lot of things sit in my gut, but. KJ Costello was a good quarterback. We're not we're not going to sh- sugarcoat it. He was a good quarterback, but every single week Doug Flutie finds something to not talk about Notre Dame about. He consistently finds the opponent better, and people have to take notice. People have to see that he's doing this right. I'm not crazy. I think he tells him to. I think NBC tells him to be a complete asshole. Like. That seems to be NBC wants to have no bias. That's what they want to do. So they're getting people to be like anti Notre Dame on our show. And hmm. you notice that with they hired uh, what a Michigan alumni, they hired USC people. They got Doug Flutie who hates Notre Dame. Uh-huh. Um, like they want to go to their way, not to be criticized for being pro Notre Dame. But you know, fuck that. It's Notre Dame's network. Be biased. Hire Brady Quinn. Let's yes. get this going too. Oh, hire Brady Quinn. I like that one. But, you know, let's not talk about the announcers. They're not why we're here. Uh, Notre Dame's run game, their defense, everything about the the performance was phenomenal. Uh, 50, 55 plays that they ran or 55 rushes or something like that, and Stanford only ran 51 plays overall, that, that was just one of those boat races that it broke Stanford. They are literally a broken team right now. Yeah, it was really looking like um, we should have been blowing them out in the game, and it was close. I don't know if you guys remember, it was kind of close going into the fourth quarter, mm-hmm. despite us kind of outplaying them all game. 
So I think we got a fair result kind of breaking through. Um, but yeah, I mean, Stanford wasn't great. Notre Dame was. Any thoughts, uh, Steve? All right. So of the uh, of the roughly um, two hundred and fifty some odd yards that that Stanford accumulated, uh, the most astounding stat of the night, I think, is that Notre Dame held Stanford to just thirty one net yards in the uh, in the second half. Uh, four out of the five team sacks that they did have came in the second half. They only allowed three points. Obviously, just one field goal. Uh, Tavon Coney did come away come away with that interception. And then on the entire day, uh, Stanford was just three out of 13 on third down. So they forced them, you know, they, they shut down Bryce Love. They forced him to pass the ball and, you know, they forced sacks. They forced fumbles, uh, didn't recover any fumbles, but we were getting after the quarterback, a lot of hurries, a lot of pass breakups. I mean, this, this defensive unit was an absolute wagon. And uh, I, I don't like. I almost was at a loss for words looking at that game. Um, thankfully, we had you know 48 hours for me to come up with some because that was astonishing. And and we you know we love to make the joke that this team is so 2012 it hurts. People forget up until the national championship that our defense in 2012 was incredible, and I think this one is even better. So, wow, what a friggin' game by that defense. And uh, just to go real quick off that point, you saw everyone flying around. Usually it was just Gilman who should have had that interception. That was a terrible uh, call by the Pac-12 refs. But everyone was flying around. They were making plays. They made it hard for Stanford's boring offense to to work. And it's it's uh, one of these analogies that I'm working on. Um, Dylan, tell me if I'm crazy or not. Have you ever been driving down the highway just staring straight? And you're driving, you're going 70 miles an hour or kilometers, whatever you do over there. Uh, <laughs> driving and driving and driving. And then your exit is a 90 degree turn right to the right of you. That's Stanford's offense. You're just watching them run three yards every time. And then it's like, oh shit, something good's going to happen. I was so bored watching them on offense. If Notre Dame wasn't flying around and we had to watch them methodically run the ball down the field, it would have been a terrible, terrible game. But uh, that's my analysis. That's my analogy for the night. Um, any other stats that really jumped out besides Bryce Love's one 39-yard run? He did nothing of note for the whole night and then limped off with an ankle injury. Yeah, I got, I got a few things to kind of note. Um, I think perhaps the most impressive stat that I saw was 29 first downs for Notre Dame to 10 for Stanford. That is really a testament to how good we were, and that links up with the next one, 53% third down conversion for Notre Dame compared to 23% for Stanford. So I thought that was impressive as well. And then total yardage, 550 for Notre Dame to 229 uh, for Stanford. So just a dominant game all around, really. Um, No matter how you look at it, it wasn't close. Notre Dame announced itself as a playoff team to last, you know, the last game Saturday night. Um, and I think we're a real threat, and I think the world knows that now because, wow, we just kicked the shit out of a top-10 team, and it wasn't close. I, I agree. There's really nothing else to say about this performance. Um, the one note that I have, and Steve, I don't know if you have any other uh, stats, but uh, in games where – 
our coach can drink Gatorade out of the trophy at the end, we are one and zero on the season. Uh, so that's sabermetrics. We uh, we cut that part out of the uh, the end of last week. Dylan and I had a conversation about the best rivalry trophy to drink out of, and it was between the megaphone and the uh, the legends trophy. Uh, so Kelly proved uh, proved our point that he, it is a drinkable trophy, uh, which is. Uh, Steve, do you have any last minute stats before we go into our four horsemen? Yeah, um, Bryce Love. 17 attempts for 73 yards and a touchdown, 4.3 average. You take away his 39-yard touchdown run, 16 attempts, 34 yards. That's a 2.1 average. Um, we just we we bullied him into submission. Um, now, do you and think then, it was a real injury? Just to stay in the love train real quick, or was it I'm getting beat? I'm gonna I'm gonna tap out early. Replace. I don't know. It looked like his his. Ankle was a little bit funky, but it, it, if he really wanted to stay in that game, he could have stayed in the game. I think you know, a people should know when they're defeated, especially nerds. Uh, so that's why Stanford just rolled over and let us pet their belly. So he had to go study for a test or something. He knew Probably. You knew he had to roll like a twelve on Dungeons and Dragons or some shit. Yeah, and then uh, another fun, uh, another fun stat. <clears throat> um, so. Ian Book, he obviously finished uh, 278 through the air with four touchdowns, no interceptions. Also finished with 72.7% passing, uh, which, you know, thank thank God, you know, we're finally eclipsing the 50% mark, the all-elusive 50% mark. Uh, take that, you know, as you will. But um, do you guys know the last time a Notre Dame quarterback – uh, threw for 250 yards or more with four touchdowns or more and no interceptions. Great Quinn. Jimmy Clausen. The last person to do it was, in fact, Tommy Reese. Oh. Coach Reese. Coach Reese. Uh, he did it in 20, 2013 against Air Force. He threw oh. for 261 and. So, you know, this is the first time in five years that a Notre Dame quarterback has eclipsed 250 with four. So, um, it's I, not meant to be racist. We just went with the white quarterbacks. <laughs> uh, right. <laughs> uh, this is that was not meant well, to be intentionally racist at all, but we went against Texas. Against Texas, Deshaun Kaiser did throw for five touchdowns and no interceptions in that game. We won at DKR. However, he only threw for, I think, 213 yards. Oh, do better. Um, yeah, so that's why oh, 250 seems like a good mark uh, to to pass. So that's why it fell into Tommy Reese. But big shout out to obviously to Sean Kaiser, one of my favorite all time NDQBs, just not winning enough with us. But that's neither here nor there. Um, on on to the next one, as they say. Yeah. So uh, I think we've run our course with Stanford. Put it in the books. Yeah. I see what you did there. Uh, four horsemen. So through the match. Before that, we did, mm-hmm. before we got to the four horsemen, I did want to make note that on Dexter Williams' first carry of the year, uh, it was a 45-yard touchdown, as we know. And that block was other than our um, left guard, you could say. And uh, Alex Bars. Yep. He broke. He broke open the hole then, and there's also something else that he broke, and I believe his knee. Yes, his ACL, MCL. So he he did.
So, so that was an in memoriam for Alex Barza's ACL slash MCL. He will be out for the rest of the season. I think he'll be. Um, I think he was on tr- on track to be a, either a second or third round pick. Maybe this is pushes him back to a fourth. But holy crap, what a talent! And all the best at the next level to Alex Bars. Hundred percent agree. Two things there. One, we're gonna get sued for something. <laughs> that was under thirty seconds. It's like the happy birthday roll, so we're, we're fine. All oh, right, right. And two, that's a Canadian music over there, by the way. So that hit me in the homeland. <laughs> I knew that was coming. Well, you know, uh, we can already we can He is going to be a horseman of the year for us. Um, coming out early like that. Uh, but really, four horsemen, we could do, you know, one, 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 or just do all four at once. I think the four at once is a little bit easier to digest. Um, so, four horsemen for me, uh, in no particular order. Dexter Williams, he's back. The juice is loose. He is going to run rampant over Virginia Tech and every other team in the, for the rest of the season. Uh, Ian Book, um, nothing to say about Ian. He He's phenomenal. He's a real leader out there. And uh, Notre Dame released their uh, team photo with Wimbush smiling like he'd never learned how to smile before. And Ian Book looking like a model. And we should have just given him the position then. Um, Jerry Tillery, four sacks, probably the smartest guy on the field, even with Stanford being out there. And... Uh, Finally, Chris Fink uh, at the pep rally, he had a joke. And I'm going to tell it to you, Dylan. I already told Steve. Ready? Knock, knock. Who's there? Stanford. Stanford who? Exactly. Yeah. He was it. So he tells dad jokes. <laughs> he is phenomenal and he's shifty. Uh, really, he's going to be the next Patriot receiver. And we all know that. Um, so much of the same from last week with uh, Tillery and Dexter in there now. But uh, that's all I got. I'm very happy with their performance. I could give it to anyone on the defense, but uh, Jerry really uh, stepped up in there. I have to I have to cheat a little bit for this one because I had some plans, and then, you know, one of our defensive players goes out and makes four sacks, and it ruins everything. But I have two honorable mentions this week because I really don't think you could go through the week without mentioning them. So technically my sixth horseman, my second honorable mention, Tavon Tony, um, huge interception to kind of ice the game. He had seven tackles, half tackle for loss, uh, five solo tackles. I thought he was great. Um, he improved from last week where he was a little inconsistent. Um, yeah, and big timely t- uh, interception. But the guy I was going to have in my top four and I was so proud of but got bumped out is uh, – so my top honorable mentions, Chase Claypool. I thought he was fantastic. Uh, that's not just because I grew up with him in Igloos. But uh, he had great blocking in special teams, actually, is what I highlighted. There was at least two occasions where he had huge blocks for, their, for uh, other running backs or wide receivers. Um, also, special teams playing. He made two tackles, right? Huge, huge game for him. Three receptions, 23 yards, uh, and a touchdown. Uh, was a He's huge the most game. fundamentally sound blocker for the receiving core, I think. And uh, that, that really helps, especially with the screens. He stays on his block. And uh, I'll give my friend Brad to do a full breakdown of him, uh, either through me paying Brad to do it or Brad doing another good episode. So we'll uh, we'll find out about that. 
he need, he needs another year I think before he jumps. But definitely yeah. talent there. Um, so my four horsemen actually. Uh, fourth, I went Dexter Williams. 21 carries, 161 yards, 7.7 average with one touchdown, of course, which set the tone for the game. I thought he was fantastic. He didn't look like he missed a beat. Um, yeah, it was really good to see him back. And 20 carries is right where we talked about last week, actually. I think it was Steve that mentioned it, that he wanted around 20 carries for Dexter Williams. So good stuff there. Um, three, Miles Boykin. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. How many times did we throw that little corner route to him? Um, or that little uh, curl? Number 13 was being abused out there. It was like 15 throws. Wasn't clear at all. He got he caught 11 receptions, which is a lot, really, for a receiver. Uh, 144 yards, 13 average, and he scored a touchdown at the end. Um, second, this is where it got tight for me, but I went uh, Jerry Tillery, a.k.a. Terry Gillery. Um, six <laughs> tackles, four solos, four tackles for losses, and four sacks. I mean, a monster. I mean, he was... He was uh, Defensive player of the week, I believe, this year or this week. Um, also for getting a forced fumble on one of those sacks. Exactly. Yeah, good call. Um, he was fantastic. Just unbelievable week. Um, he's a great player for us. Uh, you'll see him in the NFL playing the three-tech. Um, and lastly, my horseman. I thought about this hard, but it's got to be Ian Book. He was the guy that kind of drove us to the win. His numbers were very impressive, um, as Steve kind of highlighted a few of them there. Um, but he went four touchdowns, zero interceptions. He had a high uh, complete uh, passer completion rating. I believe it was in the high 70s or mid 70s. Um, 278 yards, but again, we were running the ball at the end of the game. Uh, and then the impressive thing is his adjusted QBR was 84, which is really high. I think that was the top 20 in the in the country this week. Uh, and 183.5 passer rating, like just unbelievable stuff. He's been fantastic since being the quarterback. Um, yeah, nothing else to say. He helped us get a win. He's dynamic. He changed the offense. Uh, Dexter Williams too, but I really think it's Book's timely throws. He's making the right throws. He's running the ball when he needs to run the ball. He's not forcing anything. Just and that one pass over the two defenders, unbelievable. So, oh my god! Real quick story. I when I used to coach, I had a quarterback. Uh, we I'll tell you off podcast about him a little bit more, but um, he was the same type of player Ian Book was, and I texted him during the game. I'm like, hey. Watching 12 out there is like watching you play. And he goes, oh, he's a better passer. And I'm like, no shit. You played high school football. He plays for Notre Dame. But I meant like every time I was up in the booth, I would say, run the ball, make a decision, do do something with it. And he would just wait that half a second more. And then he would out-athletic everyone on the field. And that you saw Ian Book doing the same thing. I'm yelling at my screen, throw it to your outlet, throw it to your outlet, run, run the ball. And he waited that half second, and instead of throwing to the outlet and two yard out, he would throw a slam across the middle for 15. So it's one of those things where he feels comfortable waiting, which is a yeah. Line. And and there's one particular play where he was rolling, the guys was crashing down on him, and I was like, throw it, throw it, throw it, throw it, and all of a sudden he just stayed calm, made his decision, hits Chris Fink. For, for a huge first down at that point in the game. Uh, just to, uh, I guess I, it's time for me to get into my four horsemen. That's right. Um, and something about Ian Book, who is one of my horsemen. Um, well, I'll, I'll start with, with number four going in, in particular order. Uh, this is someone who I've wanted to call his name for a while now, just hadn't seen enough big plays or hadn't seen enough consistency. And I think he finally kind of broke out of the shell. So we have two magnificent linebackers obviously 
in uh, and Tavon Coney. I think those guys are both, you know, top two round picks, uh, possibly both first round picks. They're both incredible. But Asmar Belial, you know, six tackles, one. That one tackle for for a loss was on the jet sweep, uh, or not jet sweep. Sorry, it was a toss sweep to the left uh, for for Bryce Love, and uh, Tavon took the inside, and you, you with not a, a shred of hesitation, he got outside. Um, you know, went right by him. Uh, the guy tried putting an arm on him, but it was it isn't it was an arm block, so obviously he just went right through it and really tracked down Love and and uh, wrapped him up in the backfield. Yeah, I I would agree, and he was one of your players to watch uh, at the beginning of the season as well, right, Steve? Uh, number three star, obviously Ian Book, uh, and people forget that Ian Book did add yards on the day. So, uh, yeah, Andy also took two knees at the end of the give him, let's call it 51 rushing yards. Um, you know, he's, you know, more athletic than what people give him credit for. And he makes especially that, that touchdown chase Claypool that was across his body. He opened up his shoulders and gunned it in there past two defenders. So, um, number two horseman. Williams, 21 carries, 161, and a touchdown. Welcome. And then number one, undeniably, Jerry Tillery. Uh, as, as all the stats were mentioned before, four sacks, two quarterback hurries, a forced fumble. Absolute monster. Yeah, he was just devouring the offensive line. Honorable mentions. Obviously, my Boy, can Jalen Ellison a pass defended? He almost had an interception, and I think the point of emphasis here is is uh, that he's really stepped up his positioning and put himself in a better spot to make impact plays. Um, and then, of course, Julian Love, um, some love. <laughs> Our love is better than yours. Yeah, right. So he did have one pass defended on the day which brings him up to 39 for his career, which is a Notre Dame record. So he is now our all-time uh, pass defender dude. That, that's wild. And yeah. um, Which is an official title, by the way, pass defender dude. Love it. It's the, uh, the Four Horsemen uh, Hall of Fame. Uh, you know, moving forward, there were, there's a lot of people talking uh, online that Notre Dame doesn't deserve a playoff spot because Alabama, LSU, Clemson, Georgia, all of them, are legitimate contenders, but um, usually this would be the point where we'd go through the schedule, but I, I have a bigger point to make point of contention, if you will, uh, through five games, Alabama's played five, Notre Dame has played five Alabama. If you take away the, the automatic losses that he, they've given opponents, their, tw- their opponents are 12 and seven. Their remaining schedule as of right now is 19 to 14. For Notre Dame, their opponents are 16 and 4, with the remainder being 18 and 14. So when you really look at it, those four four wins that Notre Dame opponents have over uh, the Alabama ones are pretty significant in that regard. But the fact that the remaining schedule is equal equally the same is very interesting. People are going to say, "Oh, Alabama has to play LSU, Auburn, and Georgia in a, a four week span, or something like that." Bama's good. 
I'm not saying they're not good. No one say, no one take this until Saban and I say they suck. But they're a little bit overrated. And I've been thinking about this for three days now. I'm fully confident in the fact that I'll say Alabama is an overrated team. Yeah, they have two quarterbacks who are both legitimate. They both pro- proudly will play in the NFL. Yeah, their defense is scary as shit. But they are overrated. If you look at the teams that they played, if you take away Texas A&M, who may be the best team that they played, the other teams, the other five teams that they played, were Louisville, Arkansas State, Powerhouse, and Louisiana Lafayette. Powerhouse. Like, it's bullshit. They're playing these these Sunbelt whack. They're not even legitimate schools that they're playing. And then you have Arkansas this week, Mizzou, and Tennessee. Ooh, Alabama, you're so scary. You're playing. You're. I know Notre Dame played Ball State, and they played Wake Forest, and they played Vanderbilt. They play the friggin' Citadel, November seventeenth. The Citadel. That's. It's frustrating because these. And I'm getting worked up right now. These individuals online, from certain websites, that we all read will glorify Alabama and say that they're the best thing since sliced bread, that no one will ever be able to beat them. But the teams that they're playing, Louisville, two and three. Arkansas State, three and two. They're in the Sun Belt. Ole Miss, three and two. Texas A&M, two and two. Louisiana Lafayette, one and three. And Arkansas, just for this week, one and four. They're not playing teams with winning records. They're not beating teams that are ranked. When the only ranked team that they beat, correct me if I'm wrong, was Texas A&M. So it, it's just ridiculous that everyone is saying, oh, two is so good, and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, they're putting up high numbers of points, but these are against defenses that I could play against and put up at least one touchdown on. So it, it, I'm, just, I'm, fr- I'm frustrated more than anything because of the SEC's cupcake schedule. Yeah. I think you make a fair point about them not playing tough competition yet, but it's the manner in which they're beating these teams that's getting all this hype. And here's the thing. I would have agreed with you last year saying they were overrated because they did have a weakness on offense. And I don't think they were the best team in the country last year. But Tua is so good. I don't know if we can say that this year. We'll see when they play a good team, but anytime I watch Alabama, it's, it's scary. Like, I know they're not playing good teams, like you've said, but, you know, Texas A&M's a decent team. Yeah. Put Clemson within two points. I don't think they're as good as Michigan or, or Stanford, like we've played, but that's still a good team they clobbered. And we're going to see them play LSU and Georgia at some point. Um, and Auburn. We'll see how good Alabama is. I just hold off on calling them overrated because we haven't really seen them tested yet. I'll put my stamp on it right now, Dylan. They're overrated. I, de- definitively, they are overrated because they haven't won through September. They're through five games. They haven't played anyone. Two, if you look legitimately, and I've, I've said this before, the fact that November 17th, when the majority of college football schedules legitimate games against legitimate opponents, they're playing the Citadel, which they're going to put 70 up on. Their third string is going to be in before halftime, and then they get to rest up for Auburn. I'm not mad at a scheduling adjustment like that, 
but play a Division One, play a FBS school. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I, uh, across. Yeah, I know their their schedule is a joke, but they are a freaking wagon. So, as much as I'd love to hate the team and say that they're overrated, un- until they can actually lose with any modicum of consistency. I can't give that stamp of approval as much as I would like to, as much as I'd like to see Nick Saban. I'm not going to say bad things here. Uh, I'm just going to say Nick Saban, please just don't be around Tuscaloosa anymore. And anyone can leave up to their imagination what I mean by that. Um, But now we're looking forward. Blacksburg, Virginia. The bitterness there. Vatek, we are ready to go. Uh, they're coming off a huge win against Duke, 31-14. Um, really, I know there's maybe some opinions about if they really need – what happened in the Old Dominion game, because I don't know. Um, but they're a good team. Uh, I have I have some thoughts on the preview, uh, but I'll leave it up to you two first. Uh, thoughts? Dylan? Um. It's a scary environment regardless of how good Virginia Tech is. We don't know how good Virginia Tech is because we don't know if that was a fluke loss. We also don't know how good Duke is. Um, a Florida State win looks a little exposed, so we don't really know what Virginia Tech is. But we know there is no quarterback. Um, we know that they're not as good as Notre Dame. I think the question really comes down to is Notre Dame going to show up on the road under the lights, and that's tough for any opponent team to do, into a tough environment, uh, and our Sandman's going to be playing. Can they win that game? That seems to be, in recent Kelly years, where we've lost, has been the October-November ACC road game. Florida State, Clemson, Miami. Two of those games were close. Um, and I'd like to see us get over the hump this year. I know Virginia Tech is by far the weakest of those three teams I've mentioned, four including them. Um, but we should take it to them. If we keep up our defense, which has been saving us all year, if we keep running the ball with Williams and throwing it effectively with Book, there's no reason we can't do what we did to Stanford on a bigger level. Hmm. Here's a fun fact for everyone about the game. The current quarterback for Virginia Tech, Ryan Willis, was recruited to the University of Kansas by Notre Dame, former Notre Dame quarterback Ron Pallas, who was the Jayhawks quarterback coach under Charlie Weiss, which we all know Charlie Weiss was a Notre Dame coach. Other than that, and they try to make all these connections for the game, that's it. I mean, Notre Dame, uh, they played before that one other game that they played in 2016. Uh, Justin Fuente owns four victories against ranked opponents. Uh, and Frank Beamer is getting a, a statue made of him that night. Uh, so this is one of those trap games uh, that you can worry about. You tend to think, oh, you know, I'm, I'll, I'll be worried because Beamer is going to be there. Beamer ball is going to be in effect. But it, it should be interesting. And uh, Enter Sandman, is that the, uh, the song that they play when they enter or just the whole game? But when they answer, yeah. That's obnoxious. Steve? They don't have a quarterback. <laughs> I mean, it's it's hard to imagine we lose this game. It is certainly possible. Um, 
after all the losses that I've seen with such talented teams that we've had over the years. So obviously, uh, me, Dark and Stormy, I'm not going to get particularly excited or or have high expectations. I Let's just say right now, I think it's going to be a, a close one because we are on the road. But Ian Book, people forget this was his first ever home win. So he's played on the road slash bowl games, um, you know, the the bowl game in particular being the the, the quote unquote spotlight or the uh, the lights shining bright so he can perform under the pressure it's just going to be a little bit different of an atmosphere for him um so yeah i think it's going to be somewhat close because you know they're beamer ball even though beamer's not there anymore it's they're still a pesky team but all things considered our defense if if they can play a shred of of you know with a shred of the tenacity that they did this past Saturday night, if they can uh, repeat that performance, I just don't see how a team that's on their, their backup quarterback can even remotely compete with us. But um, cautiously optimistic. Oh, using my like, all right. Yeah, so that's that's pretty much what I got for now. You know, and, with uh, that real, being said, real quick, you're kind of go our, Irish, go Irish. But you're our running back whisperer. Hope you didn't leave yet. Um, with Williams being there, Jafar being out till after the bye week and Tony Jones being questionable for the game. Uh, they're going to have to do tryouts this week. And uh, we, you have Avery Davis who can play running back, of course, but you also have Sebo Flemster. Uh, do you have any thoughts on engineer the, Smith engineer Smith? Do you have any thoughts on what will, what the running back uh, tandem will look like? Um, obviously you got to believe that Dexter's going to get 20 carries. Now the question is, um, can Tony get 15 carries? I think if Tony gets 15 on top of 20 from, uh, you know, from, from Dex, then that means that we're controlling the clock. We're controlling the line of scrimmage. The offensive line is really doing its job. Very curious to see who's going to, uh, fill in for, um, for RIP. Alex Bars. Um, it's going to be Trevor Ruland, most likely, right? Trevor Ruland's the right now. The depth uh, depth chart hasn't come out. It's Monday, uh, so we'll yeah. That's who it's it's most likely is. I mean, luckily we have depth at the position, but there's a difference between a guy that might be you know two years away from the NFL and a guy who was projected to be a pretty freaking good pick on the offensive line filling in for Quinton Nelson, who was possibly the best offensive lineman of all time. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, it's good that we have depth. I mean, I'm, I'm high on, on Dexter, obviously. I think Tony Jones definitely still has a role with the team. And I think that he can really, um, make an impact. I think if he gets 15 carries, that means we're pretty much guaranteed to win. Uh, I think if he gets 10 carries, that means we're still doing a good enough job of mixing up the, the pace of the game. Um, but yeah, I, you know, it, after those two guys, you can mix and match Jameer Smith and Saborius Fleminster. Uh, I think both of those guys have bright futures. They they do some need some time to develop though. But yeah, I mean, exciting stuff all around, and hopefully, uh, you know, we can get the ball rolling. And uh, Dylan, yeah, well, so, sorry, Steve, I mistimed my jump. I was going to say when you said Quentin Nelson might be the best offensive lineman ever. I was going to say, and that's not an overstatement. Um, so apologies there for listeners at home. Um, I think we're going to have our way with them. I do. Um, now, of course, we're going to lose the game because I've said that. But um, I, 
as long as you can kind of kill the crowd early, which we tend to do, we tend to score early in ball games. Um, I think you can control it from there. Um, and as we've seen with the Stanford game, we can go into the fourth quarter basically tied and still blow a team out. So um, we stick to our guns. We stick to what we do best. Um, and I think uh, I think it's going to go well. I can't speak to how many carries each guy should should do. Um, but uh, I, I think Buck is going to have a really good time today or Saturday. I agree. And I'm, I'm sure he's having a good time all week. Uh, being the starting quarterback in Notre Dame must be uh, a fun place to be. Yeah, I mean, I wanted to be it my whole life. I mean, everyone does. Every kid growing up a Notre Dame fan wants to be somewhat involved with Notre Dame. And Joe, unfortunately, is stuck uh, grading papers tonight, but he gave me a prediction. He is saying 30-21 to 21 Notre Dame. It'll be a two-score win, but Virginia Tech will keep it somewhat close throughout. Kind of like the Stanford game, except we don't pull away as much at the end, but enough to win by two scores, reflecting what you said as well. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a decent take. Um, I have my own prediction. I don't know when we're giving our own scores, but I got something lined up that I think. All right. I uh, I have one as well. but Because uh, we were close last week, you and me. We were We were pretty much neck and neck until the end. And they could have scored again at the end, too, make it a, a close to 50 or over 50. Um, my prediction, you know, I, I think Notre Dame's going to be able to do very well defensively. Um, I don't, I'm not really outstanding by anything that Virginia Tech does. Uh, I don't like the stadium that they play in. I think the coach is a little bit of uh, kind of rookie ish in the sense that he balls up when stress and Pressure gets them. So, uh, that being said, I'm going to go out on a limb here. 42-17 Notre Dame. Ooh, we're close again, buddy. You know, we think alike because we're, we're smart. Um, but, <laughs> joking there. Um, but I'm not joking. We're intelligent. Yeah. <laughs> um, something I've noticed is that our defense is fantastic. I've been saying this since before. For the Michigan game, we are stout across the board. But one area in which we've kind of not statistically performed up to is scoring defense. We've had tendencies to, despite being an elite defense, we're giving up 17 points around there, sometimes more. And that's not bad by any means, but I don't think it's actually reflective to how good we are. And I think with a backup quarterback, our defense is going to click on all cylinders, and I think we're really going to see a suffocating defense. So I'm going to say Notre Dame 37, Virginia Tech 13 with, like, a touchdown in garbage time. I think this is going to be a blowout. I think the Irish are going to put it to bed, and you can book our playoff spot. Ooh, look, we really got to work on our book puns. I only have the one of the uh... – Melissa McCarthy throwing a book at someone, so uh, we'll have to work on that this week. And bonus prediction, this will be out before the Saturday fight. Uh, you're a big McGregor fan, and yes. one of the Mitz Martial Arts persuasion, persua, persuasion, the Mitz Martial Arts, we'll cut that part out. I'll probably keep it in, though. Um, <laughs> McGregor 
Khabib, Nur, Minadov. I can say that, but I can't say persuasion. Persuade. <laughs> anyway, Khabib, McGregor. Uh, I have my own thoughts. I don't know a lot about MMA, UFC. I'm a I'm a gut guy. I'm not a numbers guy. I'm saying McGregor knocks him out in the fourth round. Left hand to the chin. Fuck that Russian bitch. That's what I think. Um, Connor's going to kill him in one. In one. Bet on that one. Here's the thing. This guy walks with his chin straight out. He walks forward. He's got no defense. And Connor's got the deadliest left hand in combat history. I think it's going to be like the Eddie Alvarez fight. The first punch that Connor lands is going to stun him. It's going to freeze him. He's not going to know what to do. His game plan is going to go out the window. He'll be stiff. And Connor, I think, will put him away in round one. You heard it here first. Connor in round one, Irish win. Other than that, we're in for a hell of a week. Be sure to subscribe, like us on iTunes, five-star review. You can also follow us on Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, pretty much anywhere. If we're working on getting smoke signals up, if you just want to listen via fire and flame. Uh, other than that, I I'll, all I got is a Hokie is a dumb mascot. Uh, go Irish. Beat Vatek.